Welcome to episode 10 of the MLS Bench Podcast. I am Joey. With me today are John and Matt, and we have an absolute banger for you today. We have so much to talk about um, between uh, LAFC and Philly, the battles of the top in the East and the West. We have uh, some of the upsets of the week, our thoughts on the MVP conversation, um, unfortunately the Miles Robinson injury, Open Cup. We have it all coming, a massive show today, um, but... Uh, we haven't got uh, a chance to talk about last Wednesday's CCL uh, result with uh, Seattle winning 3-0 at home versus Pumas and 5-2 on aggregate in the CONCACAF Champions League final. And so, yes, we will talk about Seattle Sounders being the kings of CONCACAF. And I don't think there's any uh, better person to start with than our own resident Seattle fan, John so, John, what are your feelings on this game? Uh, was it everything you'd imagined it would be? It absolutely was. Uh, what a moment for Seattle. What a moment for the league um, to say we are the kings of CONCACAF. We are the, the champions of CONCACAF. And also, what a way to do it, right? Um, you know, two injuries really early on to, quite frankly, um, some pretty key positions on, on the, the pitch. Um, Juan Pablo and then, of course, or sorry, Juan Pablo. And then uh, Nuhutolu. Um, and then just, you know, the grit, the determination um, to press on, press forward, and um, eventually win 5-2 on aggregate. Um, I think it really embodies the Seattle Sounders and the depth they have. I think it embodies how good they've been at home and their home dominance. Um, they really, uh, honestly, from top to bottom, uh, ran through this tournament and are very much so the deserved winners um, you know, means so much to me personally. Uh, just the idea of them going to play uh, in the FIFA Club World Cup. Um, I think I saw some rumblings that that might take place in February, but I know that a lot of those details aren't nailed down yet. But um, man, how exciting! How exciting is that for us to to have representation and um, to really reach a peak that's never been been uh, obtained before? So so exciting, and to do it in that way with that crowd, with those players, like it really top to bottom showed why Seattle has really set the standard in this league. Um, it was absolutely thrilling. And the really crazy thing is, I don't know about you all, but I was never nervous. The second that that game went back to Seattle, it felt, you know, I, I was concerned once uh, Joao Paulo was uh, went down because he sets he's the metronome for that team. But the second that they got clicking, I was never concerned. And that's just not what this this situation has been for these for these leagues and for for Champions League in total. Uh, really, really exciting game played at a really high level, too. I think that's the story, right? Like. Seattle, not not for um, the entire game, because I think Pumas was able to muddy it up at the beginning for sure with the injuries to Nuhu and Paulo. But I think, especially in the second half, when it got more open, Seattle was just able to play their beautiful style of football with the players that they have, and they were just, they were flying. It was champagne, especially on that second goal. Um, I, I particularly want to touch on that second goal. I Between... Alex Roldan's ball up to Morris. Um, Morris 
to uh, Ladero, Ladero to Rui Diaz. That was just the culmination of roster building, right? We talk about a homegrown, a draft pick, two DP signings that they absolutely hit on. Matt, do you see that goal as, you know, not just a beautiful goal, which it was, but kind of a, a microcosm of the entire Seattle project that's led up to this point? Absolutely. And, and especially to see the way that um, Ladero was able to kind of orchestrate that. Nobody seemed like they were you know, trying to do too much in that moment. And it really, they just kind of danced through that midfield and were able to make the right choice. And that's where I think in this kind of game, a lot of times I feel like Major League Soccer the, or their, their players have, you know, their eyes went as wide as dinner plates. And so for them to be able to have been in this position, to have the the wherewithal to make the right choice, you expect that from from Nico Ladero. You, you expect that from Raul Rui Diaz. But this was Alex Roldan. This was Jordan Morris. Guys who we know are good, but it has not been the case that we've been able to finish in this way before really really well done and i really do think it embodies um the work that garth lagerway has done up in seattle um and i i think maybe a story that goes unsung is um just how much of, of a white whale this has been for for garth um ever since he sort of um, fell short uh, at rsl and eventually came over to seattle he's really been beating um, you know, the Champions League drum um, for as long as he's been at the club. Um, we're going for Champions League. We're going for Champions League. Um, regardless of whether, you know, uh, Seattle was out in the first round unexpectedly or they made a late run, Garth consistently has said that the club um, is valuing Champions League. Um, and so for him to have made that such a high priority and for it to have finally sort of culminated in this victory for him and for MLS, um, I think is really, you know, monumental. And I think, I think you're right, Joey. I think to sort of talk about the different ways this roster came together is important because um, literally maybe every single way of obtaining a player was represented on the field. Um, we talk about Alex Roldan and his um, ascension. Many people forget that he was cut from the team almost two years ago. And they really had some hard decisions about whether to sign him or not um, before he transitioned to that right right back um, position. Um, and, you know, you have Albert Rusnak, who's a free signing, uh, sorry, a free agent signing. And you, you have um, DPs being hit. I mean, literally a, all the gambit is hit on the field of players signed in different ways. Um, even New Who, who did go out, right? He was initially with Seattle Sounders, too what then became Tacoma Defiance and was moved up, right? Um, this is what a winning club looks like. They use all the tools available to them and um, they make a cohesive unit that um, works together, that knows where each other is, and it results in this beautiful end product, which, as you said, Joey, is perfectly exemplified in the second goal. Yeah, and this is also a massive credit to the way that their ownership has been willing to go ahead and put their necks out there, make the investment, Find or create an academy system that can go out and find Obed Vargas in Anchorage, Alaska, bring him to uh, Seattle, and then develop him to a player who, when he comes in for this great player in Jao Paulo, looks the part, 
does the job. Was that nervous or were there nervous moments? Yes, but it takes the time. It takes the investment. It takes the where or the willingness to go ahead and take the risk. Um, and that is just, that's why they're a good, well-run organization. And I, I think that it's not, and this is kind of where we see the progression of the league, right? Is that now it's not just you have five or six guys on the team that could be better than the team that you're playing in Liga Mekis. You have guys that are better than these players in Liga Mekis. I mean, obviously, and we might get into like Pumas was not the best team in Liga Mekis. They were the 11th place team entering the Clausura and lost in the Repechaje uh, to Chivas on Sunday. So, again, we're not talking about necessarily the best team over the course of the league in Liga Mekis. But I think the conversation that I've been hearing um, from the Mexican uh, journalists is that essentially uh, this doesn't count because Pumas aren't one of the big teams, one of the really big teams. They aren't America. They aren't Cruz Azul. They aren't Chivas. That was there. For me, that's absolutely, that's just a terrible argument, right? They beat Cruz Azul in the semifinal. They're here because they beat, they won the games that they were supposed to win because they won games. It's not, it's not the Super League. This is a merit-based system. and. They deserve to be in the final, and so did Seattle. And Seattle beat them in the final. For that to, it for the fact that Seattle to play Pumas would invalidate them as champions, I think is ridiculous. But I digress. I think more broadly speaking, I think where we can start to see the development of the league is that Seattle is able to bring pieces like Kellen Rowe and Obed Vargas and uh, Freddie Montero and Will Bruin off the bench um, toward the end of that game. Whereas you know. That kind of depth, that depth that could, you know, potentially be starting in terms of Vargas and Rowe, players who played really good games for 60, 70, 80 minutes, is that's something that didn't exist, you know, five, 10 years ago, where you can have the depth that if you're, if two of your star players go down, you can put in two really, really solid replacement pieces and they fill the role and you still get the job done in convincing fashion at the end of the day. I don't know, John, if you see that as one of the main takeaways, but for me, uh, certainly that depth that Seattle and now other teams like NYCFC and Galaxy, LASC, so on, have been able to build. Do you think that that's a major storyline uh, coming out of this game? Yeah, I do. I do real fast want to touch on what you just said about, you know, that argument from the Mexican media. media. I, I find that argument absolutely ridiculous because, I mean, where is Seattle on in the table? right? They're near the absolute bottom, right? So if we're, it isn't a competition between who's at the top of the table at any given moment. You know, it was Seattle that was on the field. It wasn't Philly. It wasn't LEFC, right? So that argument that Pumas doesn't count is absolutely ridiculous. That's not how the tournament works. And, you know, to suggest that, you know, because it was Pumas, that it's somehow less of a victory is just absolutely absurd to me it doesn't make sense it's not logical but yeah i think you're right i think seattle's the standard i think as a club they just are run with excellence um it is it is demanded from them in every way shape and form um i mean if you look this weekend at, at their loss to dallas um you know brian was not happy in his presser he was not happy that they lost he was not happy that they lost even after they had just won what was, you know, the most crowning achievement in all of MLS. And I think that speaks to the club's mentality. Um, the club expects to win whenever they are on the field, no matter who they put out there. And I think that that is unique. 
And I think that the reason that that is unique is because um, they expect those depth players to step up, right? They they expect them to represent the club well, and they represent they uh, expect um, them to get results, right? And I, I think that there's just sometimes where other teams sort of field their their B teams, and when they lose, it's like ah, it is what it is, you know. Um, whereas with Seattle, when 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 they lose, they're Go go watch Brian Smith's um, pressers. He's he's absolutely upset. And I, so I, think, I think it's the difference. I think you like you saw that in the match against Pumas when uh, Rudia scored the first goal and went and celebrated with the uh, I think that was the U seventeens or the U eighteens uh, who won was, their portion of the GA Cup. I think it was the youth and Tacoma. I think both. Yeah, yeah. and it shows that they're saying. I'm Raul Riviez, and you are the next person or who is going to be filling this position. You are the next group that is going to win this tournament. There is no excuse for anything. I don't care how old you are. I don't care like where you're playing. You are going to be successful, and it's going to happen. And that's well, an organization. Well, and I mean, Raul drives some of the younger kids to practice every day. Like this is something that just doesn't go sunk, right? Right. Raul is the DP player. He's paid millions and millions of dollars to produce, and he does. In the big games, he does. But what doesn't get stated is that he has buy-in in the academy system. He literally drives the uh, Tacoma Defiance players, U17 players, to practice when they practice with um, with the first team. It happens, right? And that that just tells you what the culture of the club is about, right? It's a club. It's a family. We are fighting for each other. And I think that 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 is certainly exists in other places. And I think that sort of depth and camaraderie exists in other places. But I do think that it does have some effect on the field. And I think that there is something special happening in Seattle. And I think that that is perfectly sort of summarized in that moment you described him going to go celebrate with those players. Those aren't just some players that represent the club. Those are players that he spends time with and cares for. And the fact that he cares as the highest played player on that team is important. Yeah, I think also a, a major thing coming out of this game is how like the roster construction specifically. And I kind of touched on it earlier, but I think like it's it's easy to understate how impressive it is, but also how you know simple it is because it's it's hard to find really good DPS that are going to care and are going to show up are going to care about the academy like Rui Diaz did, like you guys have already touched on, that are going to care about the team and the fans, like these guys clearly do, uh, specifically Ladero and Rui Diaz. It's hard to find those guys. It's hard to you know, make a good academy that players like Obe Vargas can come in at 16, and Atencio, and Leva, and uh, all, all those guys who are uh, Baker Whiting, who are coming up, um, who you know saw the field you know, that one game last season against Austin, and um, have started to incorporate themselves uh, in the first team. That's hard to do. It's hard to get draft picks correctly. And so that's where I give Seattle a ton of credit is like they've, they've managed all of it extremely well when it's really, really hard to do all of that stuff. And then at the same time, I sit there and I'm like, it, yes, it's hard to find good DPs. Yes. It's hard to build a good Academy and find good young players and make good interleague signings, but it's available. And these tools are, right in front of all these GMs, the draft is right there, right? 
the Rodons were not the first and second pick of the draft. They were further down. I think they might have even been undrafted. I'm not 100% sure about that. You got you got um guys like the Vargas and stuff through the academy who he was in Alaska, right? That's like Alaska, I believe he had ties in some respect to Seattle, but you can go in and you can claim these guys that aren't, you know, right in your backyard. Other these teams can come in and make these um signings from a super young age. You can sign really good DPs. It's all available for these teams. So I think on one hand, it's super impressive that Seattle did it. But Matt, I think on the other hand, a lot of MLS fans can now, you know, turn it to their front offices and their coaching staff and say, well, now it's our turn because these guys did it. They didn't cheat. They didn't, you know, do, they didn't get crazy DPs, right? They didn't sign Neymar or anything. They just signed really good DPs and have a good system in place to make them successful. Like other teams can do this. This is a replicable, a replicable um, pattern of success. Wouldn't you say? It, yes, absolutely. And I think that that's what makes this moment so exciting. Cause I know that there are probably about 29 fan bases in, in this league right now who are saying, well, why can't we do that? Why can't that be us next time? Why can't that be us within the next 10 years? Why can't we sporting Kansas city win CCL? And it's it's just as simple as having the willingness to do it, do it day in, day out and 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 be smart about it. Obviously, like Seattle invests very, very heavily in their uh, sports uh, sciences and their statistics departments. They do a lot of the stuff on the backside that you only see in moments like this. Um, And I think that this is going to be. A, a a pretty important moment in the grand scheme because now there's going to be more pressure on clubs to go out and do this type of thing. And I, I'm happy to see that as a fan of this league. I have one more thing to say about this and then I promise I'll shut up. Um, I think how a club treats players matters. Like how clubs treat players matters. And I think that the one of the most interesting sort of things to think about for me is Freddie Montero, who currently is on the league minimum salary, right? League minimum salary came back. That is a weapon to bring off the bench. He is in Seattle on a league minimum salary because he wants to be there, right? And the reason he wants to be there, is it because of family? Is it because of the area? Absolutely. But is it also because the club has treated him well? Yes. In CCL, Montero had three goals this year. How you treat players matters because eventually they're going to come back into the club. If you look at Seattle and the way their front office is organized, they have former players involved in that front office. That builds a culture in a club and really establishes something that in American soccer, we've been lacking tradition, right? Uh, And I think Seattle is forging the way with that. And I think that... um, it's something that obviously I'm a little biased about. Obviously, I get a little pumped up about. Um, but, you know, certainly something that other clubs sh- could emulate and also honestly should emulate and can emulate, which is what we're talking about, right? Everyone should strive for excellence in this way. It's obtainable. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely attainable. And that's what I think. Um, kind of the last thing I want to hit on, and we can move on to this week's MLS games because there were some bangers in there as well. But the last thing I really want to touch on in CCL until we move on and probably don't talk about CCL for another 12 months or so 
um, is I guess we've talked that the methods of success can be replicated. Um, do we see that happening? Do we see more MLS teams winning CCL? Do we see uh, the league grow and become more competitive? Do we see you know players um, who are you know they want to come to North America who you know, previously had gone to Liga Mekis, um, from South America or, you know, what have you, might want to come to MLS now, where MLS might start to become a more dominant league and start to assume that, well, MLS should win, right? Not, not oh, what a surprise. Oh, this is groundbreaking stuff. No, MLS should win. Do we see that happening or do we see this as kind of a one-time occurrence? I don't think you can put that toothpaste back in the tube. like. Now that there is a model, I think that you're the, the pressure is there, and uh, there's there's no way to turn back. Um, do I think that clubs are already you know in the mindset of how do we emulate this? I doubt it, um, but I don't think that you're going to be able to exist that way for much longer because right now we're seeing the joy that came from from Seattle in that day. And I want to be part of that. So I, I'm, I'm going to be pressuring my club to, to take those steps and, and I, you know, really, really ask them what is stopping us from being that. Um, yeah. yeah. I think growth is slow. And I think that, you know, this is a sign of growth. Uh, do I think that it's going to happen every year? No, I don't think so. Do I think that, this is a new era of MLS dominance. I sure hope so, but I don't think so. Um, I think it's a sign of growth, absolutely. Uh, and I think that growth takes time. And I think that um, will it become more equitable as time moves forward? Absolutely, I do. But I think it's slow, and I think we're just on the front end of, of this growth. So, Yeah, I think, and this is kind of a weird thing, right? Um Nobody's put much stock. I haven't heard this talked about in a couple months. But I guess for me, something that really left a mark on me um, in the conversation, uh, in the, you know, the Liga Mackey's MLS conversation is the All-Star game. I, I don't know why this felt so big at the time and still kind of does. But the fact that the best players in MLS and the best players in Liga Mackey's, you know, in a clearly a friendly game, they didn't play 90 minutes. But they got in, and we saw the best 15 players in MLS and the best 15 players in Liga Mekis or so. And MLS 1 was something that, I don't know, that that kind of stuck with me. Because it's like, yeah, obviously this is not, you know, indicative of the entire league or wh what have you. But it just, it, it reminded me that, like, oh yeah, like we're, 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 we're coming, right? We're not, you know, we're not all the way here yet. but we're we're on the rise and we can start to compete if it even if it's just our best players even if it's just our dp signings we can start to compete with the league that it's so has so long gotten the better of us in club competitions whether it be ccl league's cup Campeones cup you know everything and now seattle is going to be in the representative of the entire region which includes canada mexico the united states uh, all the Central American countries who enter teams, right? 
is going to be Seattle. It's going to be the representative of all those teams, the region, and is going to put MLS on the world stage for the first time ever. And that, to me, um, speaks volumes about where the league has come, where Seattle has come, and where we can all go um, in the future. And so it was an absolute delight uh, last Wednesday to see Seattle win and the celebrations and the 68,000 that packed out uh, Lumen Field, which that was just absolutely heartwarming to see. And um, I just want to see that uh, soon. And it, it was almost hard to turn off the TV because that you just wanted that night to go on forever, um, not just as a Seattle fan, but uh, just as an MLS fan. That was pretty awesome. Um and now, I guess after all that CCL talk, we can, can uh, we can transition to kind of the bread and butter of the podcast, which is uh, week in week out MLS play. I do want to start with the uh, you know maybe you didn't you didn't see it on TV or ESPN Plus even because if you're up at 11 p.m. watching MLS, um, good for you, man. I, that's a hundred percent. You're the person ex- that's the exact person that we want to be listening to this podcast. Hundred percent. If you if you're not doing that. Then you don't deserve to be like. No, I'm joking. Uh, no, but um, wow. If you watch that game, uh, props to you. But LAFC uh, and uh, the Philadelphia Union, um, uh, going at it uh, in LA uh, on Saturday, uh, 8 p.m. Pacific time, and this one looked for long stretch of the game like a traditional LAFC game uh, would go. And it looked like a traditional Philly game where Philly was going to absorb a lot of pressure, uh, trying to hit on the counter. And LAFC was going to try and dominate the ball and find attacking chances through that possession. And both teams kind of did what they wanted to do. And it finished all square at two after the 90 minutes. Uh, Matt, what did you see in this one? I kind of just saw um, a normal game from both these two teams with not a ton of moments of inspiration. I think definitely the moment of the game was Karan's crazy finish. That was an absolutely beautiful goal. But um, yeah, what were your thoughts on this one? I I just, it was really, really fun to watch. And we've all seen some MLS matches, I'm sure, that um, were played at a lower level than this. So to see this match where the ball was moving, where it was just really, really high level soccer, was really, really fun to watch. Um, I, you're 100% right. You know, we're seeing LAFC who's trying to go ahead and ping the ball around, trying to, you know, force the ball wide to their really, really creative players, uh, especially over on the right-hand side there. Um, and then they can just grind you down. Um, but you also see a really, really resilient uh, Philadelphia side who are just lightning quick when it comes to hitting them on the counter. Um, it's, I, I had just a lot of fun watching this. This was haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. And it's really fun to watch. Yeah, John, I don't know, um, what the main takeaway from this game is. Cause I think there are a few, right? Is it, um, Philly and, you know, Carranza and Gazdag have really, really, really looked so good this season and they look to be combining at a really high level. Is it, um, some of the supporting players and not just Vela, um, and it really his first season healthy because last or like back and healthy since really 2019 because last season, um, he was never really quite right. Um, is the kind of the supporting players uh carrying the load? Um, Apoku I think uh got a goal in this one. Um, to continue his hot streak. What what did you kind of see? Um, as you know the the main storyline or the main takeaway from this one. 
Yeah, I mean, in many ways, this is the two primary styles of this league. I mean, there's there's of course variants and different flavors, and but for the most part, a lot of teams in this league fall into one of these two camps. They're either going to try and keep possession and try and make chances off of possession, or you're going to try and hit people on the counterattack. And exactly what you said uh, is true. Both of these teams were comfortable with how the game was played. Um, I have this down. Um, the possession stats in this game was LAFC had 66.6% and Philly had 33.5%. And that is exactly where both these teams uh, want to be, which is just so humorous, right? It's so humorous that um, both these teams can be content with what other people might say are lopsided numbers, right? And in truth, um, 2-2 seemed like a fair result, to be really frank. Um, Philly just has some some quality in that final third. And so when the moments come, they, they deliver, right? Uh, and then LAFC, additionally, um, <clears throat> had some individuals step up. And so 2-2 really does feel like a fair result here. Um, but I think it also speaks to maybe what is required in this league. Um, Philly absorbs some pressure in this game, a lot of pressure. And if you want to be a big team, a big name, a big club in this league, you have to be able to at some point absorb pressure. And some teams just quite frankly can't. They just can't. They just can't handle when you have Carlos Vela and company running at you. And I think that this game proves that Philly has the defense to back that up. I just do. Uh, you know, 66% to 33%, and it ends 2-2, and that feels like a fair result. I think it truly is a testament to how that team is built, top to bottom. I think on both sides, I, I of course, I want my Seattle Sounders to be in the MLS Cup, but I don't think it's um too outlandish to say that we might have seen a preview right these two teams could meet at the end that is a realistic possibility absolutely and the we talk about those those kind of two major ways to approach the game you know and these are speaking in massive generalities but uh we're seeing the two teams that right now are probably playing the best at those two ways like these are the teams that I think at this moment we're coming off of a conversation about CCL. These are the two teams that we really want to see go up against some of those massive league MAIKs sides now. And you do it in two very different ways where LAFC is, has gone out, they've spent big and now they've really started to also tailor the um, domestic market in. I mean, we're seeing Kellen Acosta and Elie play major roles within that team. Um, and it's really, really nice to see a team recognize that value in the league. Uh, and then we have Philadelphia, who their, their youth are stepping up and making an impact. Philadelphia dealt with the pressure so well in this game. I think that like, besides that Apoku goal, which was a good goal, he just kind of smashed it right past Blake. Um, there's not much you can do there. Uh, is like the other goal came from a set piece, right? Like only one or two really good moments from the run of play. Like it wasn't like LAFC were producing so many, you know, high quality chances right in front of goal that I can sit here and say like, oh yeah, this is um, like this this performance from LAFC 
was, you know, super unlucky that they didn't get three points. And for Philly, like, no, like this was as good a defensive performance as you could hope for uh, from the union. And for LAFC, it, it's just, you know, sometimes it, you don't always get through. And they got through twice in this game, really once from the run of play. And that was with quality as well, right? So if you're looking at this game from a neutral's perspective, or even like, obviously, I'm a Philly fan from a Philly perspective, it's just there's quality on our side, there's quality on their side. It was a really good game. And at the end, I think, like you said, John, a, a fair result. Um, I don't see too much more in this game than two very, very different styles of play played at a very high level, really the highest level that this league has to offer and a deserving result. So that was kind of the battle of, you know, the number ones in each conference. And I don't know if we can say right now that these two teams are favorites for an MLS Cup in their respective conferences. I think for me, it's just early to say that either way. Just there's LAFC's, you know, played well versus the Galaxy, but LAFC lost the Traffico to the Galaxy. The Galaxy are also playing well this season, right? We have in the East, um, Philly kind of being that number one team through most of the season, right? Had that great, great run of form at the beginning hasn't won a game, I don't think, for the last four games. And the Red Bulls are also hot on their tail. So I, I'm not you know, confident in saying I know who's going to be the one C out of either conference or there's a definite favorite. But this wouldn't be a matchup that would surprise me 100% just because these two teams are so disciplined, so principled. And like we were saying earlier with Seattle, they both have the depth that, to carry them through the dog days of summer, through injuries, through, you know, even even if those injuries are you know season ending right and um not every team has that and so i think that's going to help these teams a lot moving down the stretch so a really good game and uh 2-2 was the final there um like i was saying uh, let's move to the other uh la team uh the team who actually won the traffico when those two teams met up uh austin taking on la galaxy uh, in Texas, and this was really going to be the first game for a, a gauntlet, an absolute gauntlet for Austin. Um, and I think we're all interested to see how they held up in their first, you know, real, real test of the season. Um, and they they didn't uh, hold up. They fell one 0 to the Galaxy. Um, an early goal, a, a banger from Mark Delgado, and it was a great, great strike. And um, Galaxy do win one nil. Uh, There's it was really open for a large stretch of this game, back and forth, but neither team really able to find that final pass for most of the game. Uh, Chicharito had a great opportunity that he uh, uncharacteristically missed in the last, really, uh, two or three minutes of stoppage time. But besides that, uh, a free-flowing game, but without a ton of, you know, super high-quality looks, John. I I think that's a pretty fair assessment. And I think the the macro story coming out of this game is... uh, Will Austin be able to hold up versus the tougher teams um, in the West I, I th- and in MLS as a whole? For me, I'm still undecided um, because the Galaxy are really, for me, a, a top three team in the entire league. But uh, what, what is your take on this one? Because I think that there's room for nuance in the debate here. Yeah. <clears throat> Listeners of the pod will know that uh, last week uh, we had a, a pretty, pretty hefty debate about uh, the fate of, of Austin uh, between you, Joey, and, and, and Andres, uh, who can't be with us today. And um, I, I stayed neutral last week, uh, but I, I did have sort of a take. But but this week, uh, I feel validated and safe in saying I, I'm still not sold on Austin yet. 
Um, they're sort of the opposite of LAFC, right? LAFC, again, had a large amount of possession in their game. Austin also had a lot of possession in this game against the other LA team, the Galaxy, um, but they just failed to score, right? And so I think uh, what we saw this week or, or what, you know, what I would argue this week is that we would see that uh, for them, that sort of quality in the final third um, is going to struggle against maybe some bigger teams and uh, some better defenses. Now, Austin um, fans will, of course, be angry at me for saying that. And will say that, you know, this is too small a sample size to say that. And that perhaps is fair. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just personally feel that Austin, you know, do they have some good possession? Absolutely. Um, but they had 13 crosses in this game and only two shots on goal. Um, sorry, sorry, let me rephrase that. 13 shots, 11 crosses, two shots on goal. So only two shots on goal produced off 11 crosses. They just don't have that quality in the final third sometimes. Uh, and I, I just, I'm just not convinced by them. And in truth, the one goal they did give up was because of a bad clearance from Ethan Finley in, in the sixth minute. Um, was the goal by Delgado a good goal? Absolutely. But it was first because of a bad clearance by Ethan Finley. So I'm just not, I'm not sold on Austin yet. I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. Um, I think, is this game going to be the determining, like, yes, no, are they good? It, that's it's the wrong question. Um, but looking at their expected goals, it's right about even. Um, the The big question is, yeah, that's a lot of crosses for a team that your MVP candidate is standing in the middle of the park most of the time in, in Sebastian Driussi. Uh, Driussi, excuse me. Uh, I think they were just able, or I think the Galaxy was able to go ahead and sh- uh, shuffle them outside, and, and they just, did they maintain possession? Yeah, they had some really, really good spells, but was it meaningful? Not really. Um, I think that if, if you know, the Galaxy has one player different, if if Effer really did not have a, a pretty rough game, I see this game being a, a much more severe loss for Austin. Um, and you know, it's it's not it, it's not going to be a one game thing. Decides the season. But I think that the the alarm bells have to be going off just a touch. You have to be able to go ahead and and uh, shift uh, this side around if you're going to compete for the top of the West. Do I think they're still a playoff team? Absolutely, and I think that's part of three or part of that is just that the West is kind of uh, soft this season. Uh, some teams are just kind of dropping the ball. Cough, yep. cough. Sporting Kansas City. Um, so so is I, it- there's still a, a wide open field for them if they if they're willing to take it. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. All I was going to say is that, Joey, last week you were a big defender of Austin. Are you Are you sticking to it this week? I am kind of sticking to it this week. And I don't mean that as a wishy-washy answer. I mean, I I don't think that my claim last week was that they were a top three team in the West or a top five team in MLS. That was, I, I think I explicitly said they're not. My point is that they were, in my opinion, a... A good, like, I think I said, like seventy five percent chance for playoffs, um, even at this stage, and I'm basically sticking to that, right? I think that that goal, in amidst other good opportunities or okay opportunities for the Galaxy, was a pretty low 
quality chance that Delgado made a lot from because one of their wingers, right, made a bad clearance. That doesn't say anything, like, that wasn't a super reproducible goal from the Galaxy or a reproducible goal against, I guess, from Austin. For me, I think more of the story is, right, like, those 11 crosses, good opportunities, not finishing. But even that, I think, can be counterbalanced by you have a, a really good striker in a Rudy, you have creators like Drusi, um and Fagundes up top who often are able to switch it on and have switched on versus good teams in the past and just, you know, didn't have a, g- a great game this week and just weren't able to create a lot. And that happens sometimes. It especially happens when you're playing, like I said, in my opinion, a, a top three team in the entire league. And so I think, and you keep asking me this as they uh, continue through this gauntlet um, coming up, but as of right now, I'm basically unchanged. I think they're still a playoff team. I I also don't think that they're a top three team in the West, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I that makes sense. I think I just I don't share your same faith in Arudi. I think Arudi is really streaky. Um, I, does he have moments of brilliance? Yeah, he does. He has moments where he comes out of nowhere, and you're like, who is that? Where has he been? Um, but yeah, I, I has he scored a lot of goals this season? He has surprisingly. So I mean, if you're an Austin fan. You're you're on board that that bandwagon all day every day, but yeah, I don't know. I just am not as convinced by. It. I think Jerusi up up front um, is is a pretty solid guy who's pretty consistent, but I just am not as convinced about their quality up top, at least consistency wise. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to check in all season because I think this will be sort of a fun sort of experiment to see where uh, the Austin project is because um, they certainly have made progress from last year. I think that is pretty uh, pretty uh, apparent. So. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting. They play a couple really key games against uh, big opponents coming up, right? Yeah, they have some massive games coming up, and I I think that's that was more of my point is like it in the larger scheme of the games that they have coming up. That's when we're going to determine, right? Next, they're at RSL, they're at LAFC, they're home versus Orlando, they're at the Galaxy, they're at Montreal, and then they're home versus Dallas. And then that's basically the end of June. That's a really, really, really tough six weeks coming up. And then we start to get into the two-a-week games. Um, and we know how much, like, through end of June and July and August, those two-a-week games can really be the, can really make or break the season, right? That uh, the month that might have, you know, eight games in it, that's, it's a grind. You know, that's a massive chunk of the season, right? So I think, we're yet to see what Austin is going to be able to do because they really haven't hit the real testy moments against teams. Like if you want to make the playoffs, you're going to have to beat Orlando at home. If you want to make the playoffs, you're going to have to beat Real Salt Lake. You're going to have to beat Dallas at home. You have to beat Montreal on the road. These, those are like the playoff level teams that if you want to make any kind of noise, you're going to have to start getting results against. So I think kind of, Shifting maybe a more definitive answer down the line, but for me, I'm not really changed at all in my answer. I, I think in this game, it was a lot of fun to watch without a lot of end product. And I think hopefully, and I know that both these teams are capable of more end product, um, not just because of the players that we have, but because they have produced, you know, goals galore to start the season, both these teams. So um, hopefully we can see that moving forward. Um, that's kind of what I have in like the really big, big, big games of the weekend. But 
I want to get into like one of the ma- uh, massive upsets of the weekend, which was uh, continuing their really, really good run of form um, of late. Uh, FC Cincinnati taking down um, Minnesota United on a late goal. Uh, I think it was Brandon Vasquez uh, poking it in, and they get the 1-0 win um, over Minnesota on the road. Matt, what does this say to you about a, a team um, in Cincinnati that you know has been the wooden spoon favorite uh, for three the last three running. years, and now they're they seem to be getting results left and right. I think the biggest thing that this says to me is that Pat Noonan is a really good coach, um, and they are starting to pick up the points that if you want to push into the playoffs. And I think that that's what we're talking about with Kansas City or Cincinnati now, excuse me. Um, Kansas City online. Uh, these are the matches that you're going to have to win. And to go to a, a Minnesota team who is figuring things out, but good, um, and have this kind of results, it's really impressive. Uh, I think that they were able to absorb a lot of the pressure that um, a player like Emmanuel Reynoso can put on you. Um, and then. It just takes a, a, a moment here or there. And I think they're, they've found a couple of players now who can take advantage of those moments. I'm so stoked that Brandon Vasquez is really starting to cook because that's a, a, a need for the U.S. Uh, up top. So if he continues to put the ball in the back of the net, he's going to get a call. Um, and then you see Lucho Acosta performing the way the designated player should perform. Um, and then it's just a whole bunch of players who previously they're the people in those positions were weak points are now doing the job. They are, you know, Celentano in goal is playing leagues ahead of what Ken Vermeer did last year. And the guy came out of college in the super draft this year. So there's just a lot of little things right now that are going right. And the underlying numbers look even better for Cincinnati, which is a really impressive thing to see. Yeah, I think the underlying numbers, the the real um, thing, John, that you know is starting to convince me that this might be legit. Is because like if you're just you know getting a crappy result here or there, whatever, right? That happens. Um, every team has their lucky patches in the season, right? We see that like even in the EPL, I think. Um, you know, Burnley went on a run a couple weeks back, and Leeds uh, have got on a run a couple weeks back. It's like okay, they're beating teams, but is this sustainable? It looks like it looks not so over the course of the season. Um, but this team is starting to string not only results um on paper together, but the uh the underlying numbers and the expected goals and all that stuff is starting to come together for this team now. Do you see this? Somewhat sustainable moving forward. Do you see this team somehow as a playoff team? They are uh, the fifth right now uh, in the wet in the East, rather. Um, or do you, you see this run of form maybe uh, you know slowing down at some point, and maybe Cincinnati uh, once again aren't a playoff team? I I don't really know what to make of this because it's so unexpected, you know. Yeah, when this result um, came over the weekend, um, I was absolutely unbearable in our group chat because um man last week 
I called that Minnesota was maybe a little overhyped and maybe didn't be- belong in the playoff picture. Uh, and I, I, I stand by that. And it, I'm, I sure look good now. Um, trust me, it was probably just luck. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think Minnesota's woes continue in my mind. I'm just, I just don't think that they have um, the attacking prowess. But in terms of Cincinnati, um, you know, when you look at their results, um, this obviously is the last three have been really, really impressive. Um, but they also have been, you know, for the most part, um, basically against Toronto, right? So, like, you have Minnesota this last week and then Toronto um, and Toronto, you know, back to back. And so uh, is this an impressive sort of, you know, run of form? Absolutely. Am I convinced by it yet? Uh, no, I am not. Um, am I impressed? Yes. Do I think I would be optimistic if I was a Cincinnati fan? Yes, you should be very optimistic. Do I see them as, you know, in the playoff hunt? Yeah. Do I think they'll make it? Uh, I don't think so. I think they'll fall just short. I think eventually this run of form um, falls off. I, I'm kind of optimistic. I truly think that with a couple of the other teams who are going through some injury woes that are uh, just underperforming where they should be at this point. And then again, looking at those, those back end metrics where Cincinnati looks even better than they're performing right now. You're right. You know, it hasn't been a, a, a slightly softish schedule over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. But again, it goes back to that. The same thing we were talking about with Seattle versus Pumas. You beat the player or you beat the team in front of you. And they're doing it right now, and I think that it's going to continue. I'm, I, I'm putting my my head out there. Let's go! It's, it's Cincinnati's in the playoffs this year. That's such a bull. Because like New England is not in the playoff race right now, right? So you're you're saying that you think Cincinnati, you know, holds off either New England or I'm looking at you know the table in general. You also got Columbus sneaking up there. Um, I don't trust yeah. Columbus. I, I trust Columbus less than I uh, trust Cincinnati at this point. Mm-hmm. All and right. that's a that's a weird spot to be. That uh, is a weird spot. But what? Why not? Why can't they? Why not us? Let's go. Cincinnati's making the playoffs. Why not us? Why not? <laughs> that would be unbelievable if they make the playoffs. But I mean, hey, why not? Um, I that's kind of all I want to touch on for the games this weekend. I want to get into a couple quick hitters, and then we can close with uh, the greatest soccer tournament in all the lands, uh, which is the Open Cup. Um, but I do want to hit uh, on who you guys could see. I guess we're still early, but um, it's never too early to you know make your MVP projections. Start to think about um, who could be in that running uh, for the Landon Donovan MVP award come season's end. Who are you guys seeing so far that's really lighting it up? Um, I think we're down to uh, a couple um, main candidates at this point, but uh, I'm interested to see uh, who's your kind of mainstream candidate and maybe who do you see, uh, you know, as a dark horse that could emerge over the next uh, couple weeks and months that uh, could, you know, jump to the top of that uh, discussion. Moment. I think that you have to be looking at Drew. See, I think you have to be looking at, um, you know, call it the legacy pick of, of Avela, call it the legacy pick of a Chicharito. Like those, those are guys who you can easily see making that push. But I'm calling it. I think that Georgie Mihailovic is playing at such a high level right now, and 
Montreal is flying. Um, another one who that the the coach has really really lifted that team up more and more and more. Um, I I like Georgie. I'm 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 uh, I'm going to be keeping an eye on him all season, or as long as he stays at very least. Yeah, man, Mihailovic has been on the warpath, man. I man, if I'm in the USMNT, you know, um, selection process right now, it it is hard to you know ignore what Mihailovic is doing. Right, that team just looks so good, and he is just such an integral part of um, the passes that they're stringing together and the chances that they're creating. Um, and they're near the top of the table for a reason. And it's because they look good, man, and he looks good. And so if I were to award, you know, the MVP right now, it goes to him without a doubt. Do I think that it's going to be sustained throughout the entire season? Uh, that seems like a little bit of a stretch. Um, do I hope so? Absolutely. There's not a more deserving person. Um, but do I think it will be sustained? You know, sustained? Uh, I, I don't. I don't, I don't know. Um, I think that, um, I think that, you know, probably one of the legacy picks is, you know, that the safer bet at this point. Um, but who knows? It's, it's a long season and, uh, it is MLS. Crazier things have happened. I'm going to push you then. Who's, who, uh, we'll say that the two legacy picks are, uh, Chicharito and Vela. Who are you taking? At this point, at this point, I think you take, I think you take Vela, but I mean, neither of them have been more deserving at this point than Mihailovic, right? No, at this point, no. 100% Mihailovic has just been way more deserving. Um, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I just, at this point, I don't see a legacy pick um, incoming, though. I mean, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't put it past the league, but I think Drew C and Mihailovic have been so hands down, you know, the two really deserving candidates so far this year. You can make a case for Ferreira, um, Vasquez, a bunch of those players, I think. But I think really for me, it's got to be Georgie so far this season because between goals, assists, um, the fact that he's not a forward and yet he his G&A con- like, combination is so high, um, it, it, it's truly uh, deserving. It's a long time coming. And it's not all that surprising if you watch last year and you you know the talent that we've gotten and you put him on a good team and wow he's actually you know he, he's catapulted himself to the top of the league surprising basically no one who's watched him over the last two or three years because this was there all the time and but you put him with a quality striker in Kyoto some good players around him um, Montreal are now third in the East and. It, for me, it's not really a surprise to see this coming to fruition. Um, it's it's just probably a, a little bit of pride for him, pride for me. I'm not even a Montreal fan, but just like seeing how he's come, how he's developed, uh, that's super impressive for me. I think he's deserving of it. Though, if it goes to Driussi, I wouldn't be mad. If it goes to Jesus, I wouldn't be mad. Um, I, I think if I would have a dark horse right now, a player who I could see emerging that's not really one of those players that I named, not necessarily a legacy pick that, you know, uh, could also emerge in like that kind of big market. Um, call me crazy, but I think Tyus Magno uh, could get a shout in there because he's looked really, really bright so far this uh, season. And once NYCFC really, really starts to put it together, I think his um, goal contributions are going to fly through the roof. 
as a young player, he looks exciting. He's a ton of fun to watch. Again, call me crazy, but I, that that doesn't seem like a a ridiculous thought to me. But I don't know, Matt. Do you see Magno as a player who could factor in later in the season? I I could believe it, especially if Tati goes. Because right now, I think if you're thinking of who um, that New York City attack runs through, and this is a, an attack that, if you again, looking at the expected goal numbers, is really, really good. And they just haven't quite made it up to that. Right now, a lot of that is coming from Tati. But I think that right now, you'd also think that Talis Magno is kind of at that number two camp of right under him. And if he becomes the focal point, we're going to see a lot of chances drop to his feet. And I, my concern is that he's not putting them away right now at the same level. But I I trust Dyla, or Dyla to... Uh, to coach him up on that and he's got some really really talented players around him you know getting the service from uh, uh Acevedo getting service from Maxi once he's fully back um there's there's a lot of reasons to like that pick the only other person that really comes to mind for me is maybe Lucha Zacosta over in um Cincinnati um you know he has uh you know four goals he's leading the league in key passes um, and, you know, they've had a resurgence this season. I, I think a lot of his sort of um, his sort of uh, case depends on, you know, where Cincinnati lands in terms of the table. But he's having a pretty breakout season as well. Four goals, leading the league, and key passes um, are not, you know, stats to look away from for sure. Yeah, I think there's a lot of those players. And like, like Lucha, I think, is obviously um, a major piece of why Cincinnati's uh, the team that they uh, are so far this season. Um, that can really check those boxes um, in terms of stats. I think you can definitely say the same thing about, you know, the leaders too, you know, like, you know, Georgia, what is it? Five goals, four assists. I might, that might even be low. Um, Drew, see with a bunch of goals. I, Ferrer's on seven, I think now um, Vasquez maybe on seven as well. So I think, you know, with all of that being said, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see any of those guys factor in. I think they're all pretty deserving. Um, one of those guys I mentioned, uh, Jesus Ferreira, um, got another goal against Seattle on the weekend. Is continues uh, his you know streak to start the season. He is on yes yeah, seven goals, um, tied for the uh, league lead with Triusi and uh, Jesus Jimenez of Toronto. So with all that being said, with him scoring in Orlando in the game that basically put the United States in the World Cup. How do you guys see him uh, factoring into this um, U.S. number nine conversation? Because there's been a lot of talk about Hadji Wright, about Jordan Pifa coming back in the mix, uh, and deservedly so. They're performing in Europe um, at you know, you know, just below that top five league, uh, you know, level, which is amazing. But Ferreira has already broken into the team, is scoring goals domestically, scored for the national team in the last camp. For me, he is the guy right now. He's a ton of fun to watch, and I think he should be the leader right now in terms of that number nine conversation, and yet it doesn't seem like he gets talked about that much, Matt. I don't know why that is. Do you have any you know, real explanation for that, and do you think that he is really the guy to usurp um, heading into the World Cup? I think that the reason that he doesn't probably get some of the same shine is that he doesn't... There's a change in the way that the team plays um, when they bring him in. He's much more of a false nine 
than a PFOC would be, than a um, even like a Brandon Vasquez, who I think is going to get an opportunity to uh, get some run out with that team. Um, I right now, Ferrer's got the inside track. Uh, he's he's staying hot in Major League Soccer. Just past uh, David Ferreira's uh, goal scoring numbers for FC Dallas, which huge huge plot for him. Um, but I think that that is still a position, and we'll touch on the other position now that uh, Robinson's hurt. Um, that's still the position that's the widest open. Uh, so I still think that Haji Wright gets a look. I still think that there's opportunities, but right now. Pole position is Jesus Ferreira, and I think that that's a good thing. I think that's a great thing, John. I I don't know um, if you think that the necessarily the change in you know a style is a big a deal. I don't think it's super noted. Like it happens, but the team doesn't want to play that much different with him or without him. I think he just is a more natural fit because all those players who like to combine, who are trying to play pretty through the midfield, having him dropping in and helping, allowing um, those runs off the ball from Wea and Pulisic that are super dynamic. I think that that's a really nice touch. I don't know. Do you think that Ferreira does have that inside track? And as me and John seem to think that, he, or me and Matt rather seem to think that he does. Yeah, at this point, uh, I think that. Um... He certainly deserves the inside track. I think that number nine position is so tough because I just don't think that there's a clear standout, right? There's just other positions on the field where it's obvious that there are some pretty key contributors and it's pretty clear who's going to start there. I think in the number nine position, it's a little bit more wide open. Um, but I do believe that he should be leading the pack. Um, I think that he's had a spectacular start to the season. I think he's already broken into the team. I, I would sort of add, though, that in his starts and time playing in the team, there has occasionally been questions about whether or not he's adjusted well to the level of play at the international level. Um, and, and in fairness, I think that that takes time. Uh, I think that you just got to get reps. You got to get caps. Um, and so I, I think that he should be leading that conversation. Um, I, I think he should be the one who's sort of starting up top. Um, but do I think that he has that locked down? Absolutely not. Yeah, clearly not. Um, Matt, you kind of touched on already that there's really two positions um, that are of any kind of, uh, you know, personnel-wise, I guess, could be thrown around. Because right, there's a goalkeeper conversation, too. But we kind of have our two keepers. They're just not getting enough time, right? But we have those positions and... Um, where there are potential personnel combinations, play style uh, discussions. And I think you can see that Greg agrees, right? In the, um, as Stephen Goss already reported, and Greg basically confirmed it himself, uh, he's going to bring Haji Wright um, from Antalya uh, Sport um, and in Turkey and CCV, uh, Cameron Carter Vickers from Celtic, uh, new, uh, newly Scottish champions um, once more. Uh, he's going to bring those two players in um, to the June camp, uh, those four friendlies, uh, or the, the two friendlies, two Nations League matches, and give them a run with the team, see uh, how they acclimate, see if they are a good fit. And I think in doing that, he, he's clearly showing that you know those are two positions where um, he wants to see more and he wants to see different. Uh, 
even with Jesus Ferreira uh, being in the run of form that he's in. Um, up top, thankfully, one of the few uh, spots where I guess the, like the real leaders um, in the conversation, whether it be Ferreira, Pepe, really, uh, Sergeant DK are injured. Um, there's not really a ton of injuries at the number nine position. We look at center back, and boy, uh, got a gut punch this weekend. Miles Robinson yeah. goes down, uh, you know, punching the ground, clearly um, in p- super pain, uh, really anguished. You could see uh, the look on his face right away. He knew something was wrong. And uh, they were doing the Achilles test on the field. And yeah, it, it is an Achilles injury, um, a ruptured Achilles uh, for Miles. Um, a 99% chance at this point that he's not going to play in the World Cup. Super, super disappointing for a young guy who had really broken in, had shown um, in qualifying against Mexico that he he is the real deal, that he can uh, he can play with the region's top players. Uh, just an absolutely just terrible injury at a time where his career could have been poised to take off. Um, Matt, I don't know. I think at this point it's just you know sadness for a guy who. Is just such a lovable personality, a lovable player, um, and just an integral part to both Atlanta and the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, it's this one really, really hurts. You know, obviously, so much more four miles, but uh, uh, it's just about the worst time that you could have something like this happen. It actually reminds me a lot of, um, I believe it was Sebastian Legette's ACL tear right before the 2014 World Cup, where he was supposed to be involved and make a run. I might be misremembering which tournament that is now, but um, having this opportunity can, and it, it, you know, this kind of an age can really make or break a career. And so um, I'm, I'm pulling for, for miles to have a really, really good comeback. You know, that he's going to put in every last ounce of effort and he's going to have the support coming from Atlanta United and U S soccer, um, but really heartbreaking stuff. Uh, Looking to the soccer side of things, it means that this June camp is going to be really interesting to see how Greg uh, decides to go ahead and fill fill that void. Um, and I I really like that you brought up CCV. I think getting a better idea of if, if he can work in this U.S. system is going to be important because he's been a stalwart in Scotland this year. Um, and so I think that he has a pretty good chance to make a, an impact. Um, similarly, we're looking at Chris Richards. I'm going to make the the shout that Aaron Long needs to be considered in that area. Um, but we're starting to get pretty thin at that spot, and it's it's something to be a little bit concerned about moving forward. Um, hopefully yeah. somebody else can come through. Yeah, uh, definitely agreed. I, I think, in my opinion, we're not that thin, right? We have Walker Zimmerman, who, I mean, and... For him to be some to not consider him as a starting piece at this point is just ridiculous to me. I mean, he's he he's been the best player uh, in that back line through all of qualifying. You can make a case that he was the best player on the team uh, throughout the duration of qualifying. You know, uh, maybe besides Weston McKenney, even though he uh, he was injured for that last window. I mean, we're talking about I mean, just a stud, right? We have. Chris uh, Richards, who's you know already been an important part of this team, played in qualifying, played well in qualifying, um, got wrecked with Walker uh, and Miles. I think both at this uh, both got on the field together. Um, but yeah, with Walker especially, 
Um, I'm excited to see what CCB can bring. Uh, Brooks at this point looks like he's on the outside looking in for whatever reason. Um, and we'll probably hear more about that. The one that really, uh, yeah, intrigues me and kicks me off a little bit is, uh, the hate that Aaron Long gets. I, I, I think it's completely undeserved. He did go down this weekend with, with what seemed to be a minor injury. Hopefully he's okay. Um, I haven't heard anything too major at this, uh, stage, but obviously, you know, after the, uh, the crazy injury last year, you're, you're looking, um, a little, a little more closely whenever you hear that he might, uh, he might've gone down, but I think Aaron Long is another deserving uh, player to get in that conversation. Um, John, what's your kind of take on the whole uh, the the center back carousel that seems to exist with the U.S.? Yeah, I I like Walker Zimmerman back there. Um, I do agree that there's maybe not an open and shut case of who we're putting back there. I mean, Aaron Long has has gotten some caps, um, but you know. Uh, it is it is a solution to be solved, and it is at a pretty unfortunate time, right? Um, we're already done with our meaningful qualifying games, and so everything that's left is just the friendlies sort of leading up to the World Cup and sort of in preparation. And so, um, you know, it it is going to be interesting to see who gets placed there. Is it Aaron Long? Is it someone else? Is it, um, you know, there's a long list of individuals who, who it could be. Um, but, uh, you know... It, it, I don't know. I don't, you know, it's some injuries are starting to mount up for us and uh, it's unfortunate. And, um, you know, and then it, how does that play into the questions about the goalkeeping, right? There's been some questions about who's going to start, start in that, right? With, um, you, you know, Matt Turner not getting reps and Zach Steffen not getting reps. And so, um, you know, R is the person we're going to have in the net going to have, had reps with whoever we have in center back is that communication going to be fluid enough for a world cup level performance these are all important questions and and i don't know if we're going to have answers and, until it starts and um you know obviously would have preferred to have had a really solid center back pairing going into the world cup that has some synergy has some meaningful games under their belt together but it looks like we're not going to get that so yeah I think here's just hoping that, you know, we're able to develop a pairing that works. I think Zimmerman and Richard seems to be that pairing that has played through qualifying, has played well. I think they um I think they played together versus El Salvador, maybe. Um Richards, I believe, played in the Costa Rica game as well, though I think that might have been with Miles. Um I'm not hundred percent sure about that, but I think he played that game with Miles. Um so he's gotten runs out uh, throughout qualifying um, in some pretty important games, the home games that we have to win, right? Uh, the, you know, take the three at home and he was able to do it. So uh, I think Richard is probably on that inside track, though. I am intrigued to see because I think at that position, at least, is like we know that we've got studs in uh, Zimmerman and Richards. Um, and can we develop more in CCV and, you know, long, you know, how is he you know coming back in the fold? And really get that locked down uh, to a point where it's like, okay, I trust that even if one one more goes down or two more goes down, we still have um, a pairing that we can trust. Uh, yeah, but obviously um, not to you know distract from the sadness that we all feel for Miles Robinson because uh, he's a, gr- a great young player. Um, unfortunate time in his career, but I think he'll come back stronger than ever. I think his mentality he's shown is just an absolute. Uh, he's an absolute legend um, in terms of his mentality. Uh, and so I, I think he's, um, 
he'll be back stronger um, and better for it at some point. Uh, and hopefully it's sooner rather than later uh, for the U S you know, it might not be in time for the world cup, but he's going to be an important part of the team moving forward. So uh, hopefully he's able to come back uh, stronger than ever. And uh, we're obviously thinking about him uh, through all of this. Um, lastly, uh, and we can recap or we can uh, just uh, cap off this pod. Uh, it's been a good one so far. Um, our, uh, I think in uh, our opinions, it, it is the best tournament uh, in all of soccer. It's the uh, U.S. Open Cup. Um, some crazy results last night. I'll get to uh, Matt in just a second with his uh, his SKC uh, performing uh, definitely the upset um, and definitely the comeback of the day. Um, and then 10 more games today. Uh, we're recording this Wednesday. 10 more games. Um to finish off the round of 32 in the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, we got some big ones today as well. But obviously, Matt, we got to start with you and your uh, SKC boys getting uh, the, probably the win of the season so far uh, in the Cup. Uh, how did that all go down? It was rough. Um, so Dallas very much, uh, you're really very easily goes up 2-0 on uh, sporting, I believe in the first half even. Um, and at that point, I, I'll I'll tell you, I was I was feeling pretty gosh darn down. Um, and then it uh, Sporting started pretty much a B team throughout this. Uh, Dallas pretty similar. Um, they had Frank O'Hara, they had Hyder uh, Obreon, so there were some dangerous uh, players in there. Um, but then the Open Cup got wild and. That's that's the best part of the day. Um, Sporting uh, picks up on a giveaway, uh, scores one, put us down to one, and with the last kick of the match, corner comes in. Marnos Chanis nods it into the mat or into the goal, and Sporting goes on to win four two. That is insane. Um, it shows a lot of heart from those players. I'm hoping that they can take this energy into the regular season now. Uh, but that's something that can only happen in the Open Cup. Um, we also went to penalties in Louisville City versus Detroit City. Uh, and penalties are always crazy. And Detroit City, specifically, is also always crazy. As up there last uh, couple weekends back now. And... Uh, I'm I'm so happy that this tournament is back. It is incredible. Yeah, John. Uh, what was your main result or the result that you were really looking at last night and being like, okay, this is um, either fun or big. Uh, I, I for me, I was looking at um, probably the sporting result as you know the crazy result of the day. Maybe um, maybe looking at more like LAFC just getting the job done again. They're just rolling along in this competition without even really having to start a bunch of their big boys. Um, you know, obviously one of the best sides in MLS as we already touched on in this pod and in previous pods and, you know, looking like they could um, against potentially a weaker field. If a lot of these USL teams are making it to the round of 16, maybe even uh, the quarterfinals that they could, you know, make a deep run. What, what were you looking at uh, in yesterday, Tuesday's uh, games? Yeah, I mean, it for me, I was just like the rest of you seeing, you know, that that result up in uh, Kansas City. Um, you know, 
obviously huge, huge win for them. I, truthfully, this tournament is just fun because of just how many games you get to watch and just seeing the craziness of lower league teams playing against uh, upper league teams. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, of uh, March Madness in a way, and it's it's just so cool, um, you know, to sort of um, see maybe teams that you normally wouldn't get to see and, and sort of see those Cinderella stories, if you will. Um, there weren't really any other big results from that day that really jumped up, but this is just a fun tournament, right? I mean, literally live right now as we're recording, New York City is playing Rochester, New York, right? Like, what? What's even going on, right? Like, that's that's just so cool, right? And so, and um, Rochester is always the Rochester Rhinos. Can we say that as podcast? Like, they, are, they will <laughs> yeah. always be the Rhinos in our hearts. Yeah, it's the Rhinos, man. There you go. There you go. So it's just fun, right? It's, it's it's so super super fun. I know that ESPN Plus is doing sort of like a like a NFL game day live kind of situation tonight, which is kind of fun to sort of um, follow the drama. Um, I heard about that earlier today, so that that's fun. And so it's just cool to see that this tournament's getting a little bit more um, a little bit more coverage than than it has in years past. And I'm excited to kind of see what happens as the tournament grows, and what are the storylines, and what are the Cinderella teams, and yeah, it's 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 fun, man. And yeah, uh, tonight we have some other big ones. We have Nashville and Atlanta, which is a big, I mean, just a, a kind of a derby game if we're talking about soccer in the South, right? You've got Charlotte, you've got Atlanta, you've got Nashville kind of in that, that Southeast, you know, realm. Um, you know, it was once said that soccer couldn't succeed in the South and they're turning out... Um, some of the most consistent crowds we've seen in a long time in MLS, you know, Atlanta constantly getting 30, 40, 50 in the bends. Um, you have uh, Charlotte once again, getting, I think 30,000 at the weekend, almost filling the lower bowl. Um, you know, just in uh, Nashville. That was a sight to see. Cool. I, I think what 20, 23,000 season tickets were sold within a couple minutes of that stadium, you know, Really, uh, those season tickets going on the market for that stadium. They're they continue to fill that stadium in the throughout uh, the first two weeks, and um, looks like more sellouts down the road. So we're talking about massive fan bases, really big clubs um, in just their early existence uh, in the South, and so that game is going to be a big one um, for the future of you know the rivalry between those two clubs. Um, Minnesota United and the Rapids, and that's an MLS-MLS game. But then we look at some of the games that aren't um, MLS-MLS games. Uh, Union Omaha and uh, Northern Co- Northern Colorado Hailstorm FC. That's a tongue twister. Uh, both uh, teams uh, play in USL League 1. Both are actually, um, well, they're 8th and they're 10th right now. So they're not even like the best teams uh, in uh, the USL League 1. So that's going to be a fun one. Um, that it's, one. It uh, is early in the season. I'll just say for yeah, Union yeah, Omaha. No, it is, it is early. It is summer. early. But that, that's, that's just crazy uh, that we can have teams that aren't even like the top right now of USL League 1 uh, competing in the round of 32 in the Open Cup. Um, the, uh, Sacramento Republic and Phoenix Rising. Um, that, that one's going down tonight as well. And, of course, uh, Seattle making their return to Starfire, taking on the Earthquakes. Um, kind of a classic Open Cup matchup. So, so much to uh, talk about and go go around tonight. Hopefully that uh, that sh- um, the wraparound show, uh, I think is that what they're calling it on ESPN Plus, can detail it all. Obviously, Seven Herker, great, uh, great hosts, um, really uh, represent uh, the league, this competition well. Um, 
John, what are you looking uh, forward to tonight? Uh, there's so much uh, to talk about. Uh, what's one, I guess, storyline that you're looking at tonight? Yeah, well, um, my my boys in Charlotte are, are currently playing uh, up in Richmond. Um, that game's live as we record right now. And so exciting to see them sort of in their, you know, honestly, probably what's going to be their best shot at silverware this year. So excited for that sort of an inaugural season and what, what they sort of do with the Open open Cup. Um, but yeah, I'm also excited for uh, Seattle to return to Starfire and um, to see, you know, what do they do fresh off of a loss in the weekend and also fresh off of a, a win in another big tournament uh, in CONCACAF Champions League. So, um, yeah, that's really uh, what I'm going to be looking forward to. But, I mean, it's also just going to be fun to watch all the games, you know. It's just going to be fun to – to you never know what's going to be that late second dramatic winner, what's going to be, uh, you know, the, the MLS team that struggles against the lower division team. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm rooting against the MLS team every time when uh when uh they're going up against um lower league competition so uh you know really what am i looking forward to see i'm looking forward to seeing some upsets is is truthfully what i'm looking forward to right and what game is it going to be i don't know but i'm i'm ready to fall in love with some teams ready to fall in love with some clubs some cinderella stories um cuz that's what this tournament's about absolutely it, all we want in a word chaos that's all we can ask for uh the match that I'm looking, keeping an eye on, I want to see what Houston is doing against San Antonio because I think San Antonio might be able to give them a run for their money. Um, and if Houston takes foot off the gas, they have a chance. Yeah, um, I think that's a hundred percent true. I think, I think that we can also look at some like matches like the uh, NYCFC Rochester one, right? NYCFC, obviously, uh, we're recording this. It they didn't start Tyus Magno, didn't start Tati. Um, didn't start Kyens, didn't start either outside back, didn't start uh, Sean Johnson. Um, again, I'm not saying that, you know, these team, uh, Rochester New York's going to dominate the game. We're going to get a bunch of chances, but you know, there could be something there for them at uh, Yankee stadium. I mean, for, there's just so much possibility, you know, for this tournament, um, uh, for teams in this tournament to overperform, um, their expectations to overperform their leagues and uh, show that they can uh, compete with some of the best that the country has to offer. And I, I joke only kind of about this being, you know, the best tournament in world soccer. Obviously it's not the most talented or, you know, the most technically gifted tournament um, in the world, but it, in terms of just upsets and craziness between tiers, even the FA cup in England doesn't really have, you know, this where a third, di- there's a bunch of third division teams beating the top teams, right? You know, uh, League One teams aren't beating Premier League teams the way that USL League One teams have beaten um, MLS teams so far in this tournament and could compete because MLS teams aren't you know taking this tournament as seriously as some of these lower division teams. For me, that's the beauty of this tournament. That's what makes it so so cool um, to see you know, two uh, League One teams. Um, obviously, League One uh, is going to be represented in the round of sixteen. Um, that's crazy, you know, MLS Next Pro as a young league, uh, Rochester, New York being the representative for that. That's crazy. Like all this stuff is so, uh, so fun. And that's why I just love watching this. It's just, it's just so fun, like in a word, chaotic, um, and enjoyable, uh, because you don't know what's going to happen and that's the beauty of it. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of, uh, that's kind of all we got on open cup and we'll probably be back, uh, 
next week uh to and, oh, i guess we'll touch on probably open cup to a certain degree next week um because round of 16 is really you know we're, we're here now right after uh tonight we're gonna know who we could really look at as you know the favorites uh to win this thing because it starts off with so many teams um and we've really distilled it down after tonight to you know the, the favorites and the underdogs uh heading into the last couple rounds so that'll be a lot of fun and um yeah hopefully you uh, you'll join us next week for a bunch of mls talk um no ccl unfortunately anymore but you know plenty of mls to go around uh plenty of u.s men's national team discussion to go around as well and so uh yeah i think um we've kind of hit everything uh that there is to talk about in this pod. We've talked about a ton and I hope that you've enjoyed it. Um, thanks to John and Matt for joining me again today. And uh, yeah, next Tuesday or Wednesday, that's when uh, these pods come out. So until then, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game and we'll see you then. Thank you guys so, so much for listening.